0: Are finishing up our sermon series. We've been in one for the last five weeks. Uh, It's called Blessed, and it's basically Jesus's first sermon that he ever preached when his ministry started. And we've been, he's kind of, he flips the tables over in a lot of senses. And so you have historically people are blessed because they're wealthy, people are blessed because they have it all together, people are blessed because everything is going well in their lives. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, Nah. Not really. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And this week we're going to wrap up the series by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, verses 10 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. You can turn them on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus says, not Chris. Jesus says. I'm gonna keep it real with you, okay? So my personality set, uh, it might be surprising, I don't know, my personality set is not to step on toes. I don't like doing that. In fact, uh, my personality set is one where I want to shoulder the load of everyone around me so that they don't have to feel pain in their lives. And so I will take on more so that they they don't have to experience everything. And so I'm gonna keep it real, real. Uh, This sermon, Uh, has not been easy. Uh, This sermon, uh, all week long, uh, my wife very early on this week was like, uh, well, how how are we being persecuted, babe? And the entire week has been persecution after persecution. Now, it hasn't come by way of uh, stoning. It hasn't come by way of being threatened, but it has come by way of supernatural and spiritual forces. And so my wife, uh, sorry, babe, uh, my wife and I have been arguing all week long this week. And up until last night, we were like, what is going on? Like, why are we just constantly after each other? And so we went to bed and we wake up this morning. I'm like, I know exactly what was going on. I know exactly what persecution we were feeling. And so I'm just going to pray. Uh, I'm going to be upfront with you. And I'll say this again. I'm going to be upfront with you. Uh, we're going to come in hot and heavy up front, okay? It's not going to be easy. I'm going to have to step on your toes a little bit because I love you too much as the church to not step in and help pastor a little bit. And sometimes that means we have to get a little bit uncomfortable, all right? So I'm gonna pray, and then uh, we're just gonna get going. Um, God, you have a sermon. Matthew chapter five, verses 10 through 12, you have a sermon. We've prayed that prayer, I've prayed that prayer all week long. You have a sermon, you have a sermon, you have a sermon. And so God, I pray that your sermon is heard uh, today. I pray that your church, Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds? Would we receive the sermon that you have in store? And if there's anything that I've prepared that's garbage, I pray that you would get it out of the way and I pray that we would hear your truth and that we would hear your sermon. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was about 11 years ago. Um, I learned uh, a pretty significant lesson. I mean, it's 11 years; and it has stuck with me. Uh, I learned a lesson. I was uh, my brother and I are very close. I grew up in Kentucky. We're very close, and so he was getting ready to have his first child. It's going to be a son. We had done like a little uh, getaway. Uh, he's still in Louisville. I've always kind of bounced around from place to place, never really landing there. So we tried to take some intentional time just for us to kind of get get away and, and, and hear about each other's lives. And so we're like, hey, let's plan this before the chaos of kids enters this season of our life. And so growing up in Kentucky, as we became grown adults, we started uh, having an infinity for bourbon. And so Kentucky straight bourbon, obviously it's made in Kentucky. We were fans of it. So we like, we, we take pleasure in kind of tasting different kinds. And so we're like, hey, why don't we just take two days, one night, and why don't we just like hit up some of the distilleries in Kentucky. There's something called the bourbon trail. I think it's actually pretty gimmicky, but it's cool nonetheless. So we said, all right, here's the five distilleries we're gonna check out over the course of two days. And uh, so we went down, we had it mapped out. And so uh, we hit each one of them. And inside each one of them, you always kind of like, as you're walking through the distillery, they're kind to kind of give you the history of where you're standing and all this other stuff. Everybody says basically the same thing. Um, But we get to this one spot and we walk in where all the stills are, where everything gets mixed together and where everything gets made. And the lesson that I learned uh, was that all bourbon is whiskey. All bourbon is whiskey. Whiskey is the umbrella. All bourbon is whiskey. But not all whiskey is bourbon. All bourbon is whiskey. Not all whiskey is bourbon. We can go a step further. And not all bourbon is Kentucky straight bourbon. I'm not going to bore you. And I hope and pray that that's not what you take away today. But, 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 but. Here's how it relates to what we're talking about today. All persecution is suffering. Suffering is the umbrella. All persecution is suffering, but not all suffering is persecution. All persecution is suffering, but not all suffering is persecution. What do I mean by that? What I mean is suffering happens. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, suffering happens. You're going to experience it. And so real quick, I just kind of jotted down three different categories I could come up with on the fly, what kind of sufferings we will experience in our lives. We will experience um, um, unexpected sufferings. We will experience unexpected sufferings. That's cancer, that's death, that's unexpected tragedy, that's illness. We will all experience at some level those things. The second type of suffering that I kind of came up with, again, there's probably more, but this is the second one I came up with. I just kind of titled it the, uh, the acting of fool uh, sufferings. The acting of fools, that is you made a really bad decision and you're gonna have to sit in it. Uh, and so that is, uh, <laughs> uh, this is a bad one, but it, that is uh, going to the club to find your spouse. I don't know what your story has been, but all of my friends that have gone to the club to find a spouse has ended in a horrible, fiery train wreck. Like it is fast and it's ugly. Maybe you're sitting here, you met your spouse in a club and you've been married for 40 years. And that's fantastic. Not my experience. Uh, The other one, Luke shared this last week. He actually lit a rail on fire and did some skateboard stuff on it and videotaped it. He had to live through the suffering of that bad decision. But I also, like uh, in the early 2000s, there was a show on MTV. I'm not going to say the name of it. If you know, you know. And so I had some videotapes floating around. Hopefully they're destroyed by this point. But I had to live in some of my sufferings uh, from all of that. So you have, you have un, unexpected sufferings, you have the acting of fool sufferings, and then the last one uh, is persecution. The last one's persecution. Now, persecution's different from the other two because uh, persecution is, it's an outside force acting on you. It is, it is coming down on you, and it's usually always connected to a belief system that you hold. So someone doesn't agree with your belief system and so they come and they persecute you however that plays out. But the reality of all of this, the truth of all of this is suffering is normal. Suffering is normal. And there's this false belief that runs through our society. There's this false belief that says you have to constantly be pursuing perpetual happiness. You have to be happy. All of social media is all filters and edits so that people can think you have it all together. And so we will continue to live our lives and we will continue to search for job after job after job, trying to find the perfect thing and trying to find our identity in the the perfect thing. And we pursue happiness through and through. We, We push away some people in our lives that need to be there that are speaking truth because they don't agree with what I am thinking in that moment. So we push away truth tellers and we find the people that will build us up so that we can continue to be perpetually happy. This becomes an even bigger problem when this idea infiltrates the church. And let me tell you how it infiltrates the church. And there are pockets of Christianity where the message being spoken, even today, the message being spoken is, if you become a Christian, only good things will come to you. If you become a Christian, it will be like Oprah giving away cars. You get a blessing, you get a blessing, you get a blessing. And I'm telling you, it's a lie. Nowhere in this book will you ever see that if you become a Christian, only good things will come your way. You won't find that message. And so whoever's preaching that message is selling you a bunch of garbage, And so what happens when we are perpetually pursuing happiness and it infiltrates the church, we begin to believe a lie that says, if you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfectly fine. You don't have to worry about anything. Suffering is normal. Suffering is normal. Christian or non-Christian, suffering is normal. So the question then becomes, well, what do I do with suffering? If suffering is normal, what do I do with it? And take it a step further. If I'm a Christian, Matthew chapter 5 says, blessed are the persecuted. So when persecution comes my way, what do I do with it? My my day job, (laughs) my day job is... uh, it's kind of overseeing all things construction for a uh, restoration company. And we're constantly coaching our team, set proper expectations. So from the very beginning, make sure the customer knows exactly what they're going to experience in this journey. So from beginning to end, make sure they know what's going to happen. So we're going to apply it. We're going to apply this principle to setting the proper expectations to right now. What we're going to learn today is that if we have a proper and a correct view of the expectations of what it means to be a Christian, that through suffering and persecution, it will actually breathe more life into the believer rather than suck the wind out of the sails of the believer. And so the big ideas that we're going to hold on to uh, throughout this entire sermon is that suffering is normal and Jesus is good. So let's get to work. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. Wait, Chris, that's not not Matthew 5. I get it. Uh, It's a parallel verse that we're going to use. So 1 Peter chapter 4 verse uh, 12 is where we're going to start out. So I'm going to set context uh, for where we are. So Peter obviously is the author of 1 Peter. And so Peter is sitting in Rome. The date, we're looking at about 60 to 62 after the death of Jesus. So let's back up. Jesus, when he's preaching his sermon, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, he's got a crowd of people that are following him. Of that crowd, he looks to 12 guys and he says, I want you guys to be my best friends. So I want you guys to be close to me. I want you to walk with me. And of that 12, Peter, James, and John, Jesus says, I want you to be my BFFs. I want you to be even closer than the 12. So we have Peter in the mix. Jesus's ministry life continues. They watch firsthand how all of the persecution that Jesus has to walk through. They watch all the hate. They watch all the insults. They are witnesses to this. Jesus is hung on a cross. He defeats death, different sermon. He defeats death, and he comes back to the twelve, and he says, hey, I'm going home. I'm going to take my throne again, uh, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave with you a spirit, a better helper again different sermon. He's going to leave a better helper than himself. And then when, it, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will know exactly where you're supposed to go. You will just go. And so Jesus goes back home and then Holy Spirit comes and then the 12 leave. And so Peter, we're, it's, right, it's recorded, Peter preaches the message, a, a sermon, and 3,000 people come to the faith. Amazing. And then fast forward to 60 to 62 A.D., Peter is sitting in Rome at this point. And if you know anything about history, Nero is leading the Roman government at this time. Nero, not a fan of Christians, hates Christians, is the leader in persecuting Christians to the point of putting Christians on a stake, setting them on fire in the middle of town square so that everybody can see you don't want this. And so what Peter, Jesus does in five, Matthew chapter five, he sees giving the believer a heads up He's saying, if you want to follow me, blessed are the persecuted, which means this is coming your way, just a heads up. And then first, and in first Peter, Peter's sitting in Rome. He's watching all of this unfold. And he's like, I need to give a heads up. I need to remind people that this is coming. And so he writes this letter to the Christians um, in uh, Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is like the burbs. And Asia Minor is the rural area of Rome, still under Roman government, but they haven't fully seen or experienced what, Rome, what, what Peter has been seeing in Rome. So Peter's saying, hey, I'm just giving you a heads up. Persecution is coming. And he gives a reminder to what Jesus's sermon is. And so there are so many parallels in what Peter has to say and what Jesus says. And so we're gonna look at it today. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised... Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Satan hates you. Satan hates you. He wants nothing more than to pull you away from the goodness of God. And you may not have a relationship with God, he doesn't care. He wants to build whatever kind of barrier he can build build to prevent you from actually getting close to God. And so he will put something in your life that he knows will trip you up and hold you back. And you will forever be held back until there's a God that pursues you. Because just as much as Satan is trying to work to pull you away, God has been working desperately to be in a relationship with you. He's done everything to tear down the walls to prevent any kind of separation. He wants a relationship with you. And so what happens is Satan tries to pull and pull, pull. We see like in, in another part of uh, the gospel, we see the prodigal son. When he comes back to the father, as a gigantic party. So for you and I, not a Christian, when we come back to God, when we come back home to where we were always intended to be, Satan is not happy. He is not a fan of this decision. So when you choose to say, I don't want to be held up by the things of this world. I want my father and I want my father's goodness. Satan's like, don't like that. I don't like that at all. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus takes it a little, bit, a little bit further and he says, Hey, Christian, if you're following me, your job, your work, what I'm sending you out to do is to make disciples of all the nations. So we're given a work to then go back out to the rest of the world. So the hope and, and the life change that we have experienced, you are then released to go out to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family, and you are released to begin that same kind of work. Now, when you begin that same kind of work, Satan's like, now you're a problem. I didn't like the fact that you turned towards God, but I can still still work with that. I can still pull you away from God. I still trip you up. But when we step into the work that we have been given, then we become a problem. The church, now this is where I'm gonna step on toes, so we're we're gonna get through it. Hope's coming on the back end. The church... The church was never intended to see its beginning and end of ministry work to be inside four walls. Like, it was never God's intent. For you to become a Christian, to accept this new life and to accept this new identity and go into a building and sit down and let it end, or let, we'll go a little bit further, to run the cameras, to run the parking team, to, to, to whatever it is. It was never his intent for you to find your ministry here and your, industry, your ministry ends when you leave here. That was never his intent. Like, it was never a dog's intent to live out a, to live his life inside of a cage. That wasn't the intent. That's not a life worth living. And so every Sunday when we choose to believe, well, this is my only ministry opportunity and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna come in here, I'm gonna put my muzzle on, I'm gonna lock the cage behind me and I'm gonna sit in here and wait for somebody to open up the door so I can leave and go live my life. You are believing a lie. And so Satan has tripped you up And he has said, I'm going to hold you inside the cage and make you think that you're doing good things. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying we shouldn't be faithful with what God has given to us. We should steward well what God has given to us. And so I am incredibly proud of the sacrifice that our church has done to have this place. To have a sign that my coworkers who don't believe in Jesus drive by and I'm like, oh yeah, that church office. Yep, exactly. We're stewarding well what we have, but it is never God's intent for it to end inside this building. Church, you should be a problem. You're not a problem sitting inside here. Like, I love being with you. I don't feel threatened by you. At all, I don't know if that's good. To I'm just I just laugh. I don't feel threatened by you because I know at the end of the day, if I do a terrible job up here on Sundays, I know at the end of the day I'm walking out of here. I'm like, oh, God, be glorified. I did what I could do. And you're like, that was a terrible sermon. i was like, well, oh well, brother, sister, you had to endure it. Like, but like, when I go to work tomorrow. And I've got people that don't believe in Jesus, and I'm trying to extend the hope of Jesus into their lives, and it doesn't make sense to them, and I receive pushback, then I can be, all right, that's hard. I don't like this, but God is faithful. Be a problem. 1 1 Peter 4 verse 12 is saying that if we are a problem, if we are truly living out what God has called us to live out, if we are a problem, we should not be surprised when persecution comes. And let's be honest, we have it pretty good in America as it relates to religious freedom. Like I would argue that for the majority of Christians, what we experience as it relates to persecution really looks more like tension and adversity. But to set the correct expectations is critical. Because there are some of us that are sitting in here that are walking in the middle of persecution, that are walking in the midst of suffering as it relates to our relationship with Jesus. There are some of us that are living in that, and it's not easy. We have to set the proper expectations. Both Jesus and Peter say, if you believe in me and you are a problem, suffering and persecution will come your way. Peter goes a step further and he says, don't be surprised by it. Don't think that something strange is happening to you. In other words, this idea, this, uh, I can't believe this is happening, isn't in the vocabulary of the Christian. We shouldn't say, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh, we should expect it. Like if we're a problem, we should expect that to happen. And there are stories in this room of Christians that are walking through it. There are many stories coming out of Christians in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Somalia of people, of countries that are not Christian. And if they say even to their brother, blood brother and sister that I am a Christian, they know up front what's happening. They're likely going to be killed. And there are stories of Christians, of people becoming Christians in groves. It does not scare them. They know what to expect, and they step forward. We should not be surprised when persecution comes our way. If we are a problem, we're not surprised when persecution happens. Uh, 4, uh, verse 13. Peter says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter takes uh, uh, takes it a step further than what Jesus Jesus says in verse 5 and 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And this false belief that nothing bad is going to happen to you when you become a Christian is a lie. I'm going to prove it to you. Christians in the room, how many of you have experienced suffering after becoming a Christian? Raise your hand. You can be a little bit more charismatic than that. You can raise your hand. <laughs> Look around the room. Look at the people that have experienced some kind of suffering after they became a Christian. It's not true. And when this false expectation is created that only good things are going to come, guess what happens when that's the gospel that we choose to believe? What happens is when something bad does happen and we just saw it's going to happen, we end up falling on our face and we end up crying out to some God, not not the God of the Bible, we end up crying out to some God saying, why is this happening? You promised that it wasn't going to happen. You promised blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. When we create the right expectations, we sit in front of a homeowner and we say, hey, listen, uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> like, have you, who in the room, no, you don't have to show your hands on this, but who in the room uh, has, has done any kind of remodeling process? If you've ever remodeled a bathroom, if you've, ever, if you've ever reorganized your living room, you know the type of dust that's underneath the couches. You know that it's going to get worse. I got to deal with that before it gets better. You have to. And what is true is that when we set the right expectations, hey, it's going to get real messy, but I want you to focus on the end. Like Here's the final rendering of what this kitchen is going to look like. Look where the cabinets are. Look how shiny those appliances are. Keep your mind on that. Because when it is complete chaos inside this house, just keep focusing on what is to come. Focus on the end result. Don't worry about the mess. We're going to take care of the mess. Focus on the end. Proper expectations is critical. And in verse 14, Peter is setting the expectation that we should rejoice, not lament. We should rejoice when persecution comes. But then his encouragement is more. Then his encouragement is we are not alone and we are not pioneers in persecution. Meaning we're not the first ones to experience it and we're not gonna be the last ones to experience it. Throughout scripture, Isaiah 41 and 43 says, Christ is with us in the furnace of persecution. Daniel chapter three, three Hebrew boys were cast into a literal fiery furnace only to be discovered that they were not standing in that furnace alone. Acts 23, 27, 2 Timothy chapter four, the Lord is with Paul in all of his trials. Matthew 28, he promises, Jesus promises to be with us to the end of the age. And in Acts chapter 9, uh, it is Paul being persecuted. In fact, it says when sinners persecute us, they are really persecuting Jesus Christ. And so this this idea that we should be rejoicing is rejoicing because we are not alone. And when we experience persecution, the temptation is to, to remove ourselves from community, remove ourselves from the body, and say, no one understands what I'm going through. No one has ever walked this road before. I need to figure this out for myself. And what we see in scripture is like, nah, you're not alone and you don't have to do this on your own. You are not a pioneer in persecution. Don't believe the lie that you have to shoulder the load and move on by yourself. Don't lament when persecution comes, but rejoice. That's confusing, and we're getting ready to unpack that. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We'll read it again so it sticks. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Jesus in 5.12 says, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. It's what we focus on in times of chaos and suffering that will determine our response in that moment. And so with false expectations of a perfectly clean house while we are demoing and remodeling it will only lead to frustration and anxiety as things start to unfold. But if our expectations are in reality that this is going to come if you are a problem, this is what is going to happen, but keep your eyes on the final rendering. Keep your eyes on the end result. Then we can endure and we can walk through whatever trial and whatever persecution comes our way. Jesus in Matthew 5, 12, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Peter reiterates it by saying, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you and so The truth of what we have in verse 14 is that glory is ours in Jesus Christ. Now we're going to fill up with hope. The focus on the Christian is always and forever on what is to come. We're not focused on the current. We're not focused on the circumstance that we are walking through. We have to continue to remind ourselves and be focused on what is to come. And what is to come is glory in heaven. What is to come is no more brokenness. What is to come is a new body as we walk in heaven. What is to come is the goodness and the perfection that the Father has in store that he always desired when he created the world. That is what we have to come. When we are a faithful We can keep our eyes on the end. And no matter what happens in the circumstance, we can look towards what is to come. Christ died and defeated the grave to bring you and me hope that nothing in this world will actually win. Nothing in this world is the final destination. Christ says, now I've come, I defeated, I overcame it. You can go, you can overcome, and you can defeat it. Because watch this, because when he goes back to his throne, he says, a better helper is coming, better than I. Jesus says, better than I is coming when I leave. And so if the, if, he, if the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus himself, you better believe you have it in you right now, the power and the authority to overcome whatever sin, whatever addiction, whatever it is that you're facing. Because Christ has already defeated it. He's already walked the path. He's already defeated it. We can have hope that we're not alone. We can have hope that we can endure through all things. So what am I supposed to believe? What are we supposed to believe in light of all of this? Suffering is normal and Jesus is good because he is the overcomer. And when we choose to say, I don't, I, I, don't, I no longer want my identity to be, filled, to be filled up with the things of this world. I want my identity to be determined by what Jesus has already spoken to be true. Then we get to take on this new life. And this new life isn't just in the future. The new life is now. And Jesus has already walked the path. He's already overcome the things of this world. So the trials and the persecutions and the sufferings that you will experience he understands fully. And he says to you and I, it's not the thing that defines you. Your present circumstances is not what you need to be looking at. I want you looking towards me and my glory with faith and trust that that will someday be our, our true story and our glory as well. So what do we do? Church, church, you should faithfully be a problem. You should faithfully be a problem. And what I want you to do is I want you not just to think, I want you to do. I want you to understand that your ministry does not end inside these four walls. Your ministry is just a beginning. Like this service, Sunday mornings, should be, a, should be seen as a launching pad for what is in store for your week. God wants you to step out of these doors, encouraged, empowered with hope, and to get to work and be a problem. The second thing I want you to do, it's hard. I want you to rejoice in times of suffering and persecution. I had a friend once say, suffering is an honor. I was in the midst of suffering when she said that. So when she said that, I was like, you're a basket case. Get out, get out of my house. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I did think she was a basket case. Suffering is an honor. And when you're walking in the midst of persecution and suffering, that statement right there, you'll step on your toes and you'll get a little irritated. But man, when you can back off, and maybe you're not in that, in, in that spot right now, and that's fine. But if, you, but if you can take a step back and really think about that, suffering is an honor. Why would suffering be an honor? It would be an honor because it shows that you're living faithfully to what we're called to. It would, it would show that I'm being persecuted because I'm being faithful and being a problem. And so Satan's gonna come after me. And it shifts your focus because if suffering is not an honor, then suffering is just suffering. And then it's just miserable. And then I don't have anything to look forward to. But as a Christian, if we can say suffering is an honor, then that means like Stephen, when he preaches his message and he's being stoned to death at the end of his sermon, he, the Bible says he's looking heavenward and he does not pay attention to the things going on around him, but he's looking to the end result. And so suffering is an honor, is to look towards heaven. It is to look towards the final rendering and say, that is the glory, nothing that I'm gonna experience here. And so we rejoice in persecution and suffering. And the last one, we need to pray for endurance for all believers. I do not take it lightly, um, I know that there are some people uh, in this room or listening online that are wading through it. I know that there are some people that are at the end of their rope and they're exhausted and they don't know where, how, how on earth they're gonna wake up another day and face another level of persecution and suffering. I know that that story is true for someone in this room. I don't take that lightly. I don't take the fact that you are suffering through whatever it is. I don't take that lightly. I don't take it lightly that we have brothers and sisters in Pakistan that are viewed as second-rate citizens and they will never move beyond cleaning out the sewers in the Middle East. I don't take that lightly. There are Christians dying there are bodies, I know missionaries' bodies that are being broken to the spot where they're irreparable in prisons because of what they believe. I don't take it lightly that some of you are at the end of your rope and you don't know how you're gonna move on. Which is why I say the last, the last uh, application, the last thing I want you to do is I want you to pray for endurance. Endurance because there are people that need it. There are people that need it to to, the power to endure through the hardships Like this 24-7 prayer thing that we have going on, like it's not just like some church gimmicky thing to get somebody to come in and pray. No, like we want to step in and we want to intercede on behalf of our entire city. And we want to say, hey, we want to see Jesus and his authority come and reign in our city, in our community, in our state, in our country. We want to see the power and the authority of Jesus reign above all things. And we want to intercede on behalf of those that are walking in persecution and suffering and just need a little bit more endurance. And so my encouragement for the believer, for the Christian in this room, that's at the end of their rope, that's feeling the pressure, feeling the weight, as your brother, listen, you got this. And you got this because I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of you living. It has already overcome the things of this world. I believe that you have it inside of you to endure and overcome the things, the trials, temptations, sufferings, and persecutions that you are walking through right here and right now. I don't take it lightly, but my encouragement is keep going because at the other end of this is glory. Keep going. And so I'm going to pray. And if you want anyone, if you want someone to intercede on your behalf, if you're at the end of your rope, you just want someone to put words to what is crying out in your soul, go back to the prayer room. If people want to pray, people want to step into that and want to pray over you. So God, I praise you for your word. I praise you for what you have in store for us. I praise you that when you created us, you had the end in mind that you knew where you wanted us to be, that you wanted us to be in your arms, you wanted us to be found in your truth and in your reality, not some false expectations. And so God, I pray, I pray that my church brothers and sisters, I pray that we would be a problem. I pray that Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would empower us to continue to be a problem in our community. God, I pray that you would give us the resolve, the courage to rejoice when we're being persecuted and when we're suffering. And God, I think above all else, I pray for endurance for my brother and my sister who's at the end of their rope. God, it's not done. Their story doesn't end in their circumstance. Their story ends when you say it's done. And when you can look at us and say, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the message that we wanna receive from you. And so God, I pray for endurance for my fellow uh, uh, brother and sister in you. I pray that they would have the resolve and the authority and the power to endure the trials and the sufferings and the persecutions and know that they are not alone. That your Son, Jesus, our Savior, has walked that path and has overcome those things and said that we can walk it and we can overcome as well. Give us hope as we continue to go. Give us hope and give us eyes to see as our ministry continues and begins tomorrow. It's in your Son, Jesus' name I pray, amen.